Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Section 19. For he would say it in so many words when he came into the room. Because it is a thousand pities never to say what one feels, he thought, crossing the green park and observing with pleasure how in the shade of the trees whole families, poor families, were sprawling, children kicking up their legs, sucking milk, paper bags thrown about which could easily be picked up, if people objected, by one of those fat gentlemen in livery. For he was of opinion that every park and every square during the summer months should be open to children. The grass of the park flushed and faded, lighting up the poor mothers of Westminster and their crawling babies, as if a yellow lamp were moved beneath. But what could be done for female vagrants like that poor creature stretched on her elbow, as if she had flung herself on the earth, rid of all ties, to observe curiously, to speculate boldly, to consider the wise and the wherefores, impudent, loose-lipped, humorous? He did not know. Bearing his flowers like a weapon, Richard Dalloway approached her. Intent, he passed her. Still, there was time for a spark between them. She laughed at the sight of him. He smiled good-humouredly, considering the problem of the female vagrant. Not that they would ever speak. But he would tell Clarissa that he loved her, in so many words. He had, once upon a time, been jealous of Peter Walsh. Jealous of him and Clarissa. But she had often said to him that she had been right not to marry Peter Walsh. Which, knowing Clarissa, was obviously true. She wanted support. Not that she was weak, but she wanted support. As for Buckingham Palace, like an old prima donna facing the audience all in white, you can't deny it a certain dignity, he considered. Nor despise what does, after all, stand to millions of people. A little crowd was waiting at the gate to see the king drive out. For a symbol, absurd though it is, a child with a box of bricks could have done better, he thought, looking at the memorial to Queen Victoria, whom he could remember in her horn spectacles driving through Kensington, its white mound, its billowing motherliness. But he liked being ruled by the descendant of Horsa. He liked continuity and the sense of handing on the traditions of the past. It was a great age in which to have lived. Indeed, his own life was a miracle. Let him make no mistake about it. Here he was, in the prime of life, walking to his house in Westminster to tell Clarissa that he loved her. Happiness is this, he thought. It is this, he said, as he entered Dean's yard. Big Ben was beginning to strike, first the warning, musical, then the hour, irrevocable. Lunch parties waste the entire afternoon, he thought, approaching his door. The sound of Big Ben flooded Clarissa's drawing room where she sat, ever so annoyed, at her writing table, worried, annoyed. It was perfectly true that she had not asked Ellie Henderson to her party, but she had done it on purpose. 
Now Mrs. Marsham wrote she had told Ellie Henderson she would ask Clarissa. Ellie so much wanted to come. But why should she invite all the dull women in London to her parties? Why should Mrs. Marsham interfere? And there was Elizabeth closeted all this time with Doris Kilman. Anything more nauseating she could not conceive. Prayer at this hour with that woman. And the sound of the bell flooded the room with its melancholy wave, which receded and gathered itself together to fall once more when she heard, distractingly, something fumbling, something scratching at the door. Who at this hour? Three, good heavens! Three already! For with overpowering directness and dignity the clock struck three, and she heard nothing else. But the door-handle slipped round and in came Richard. What a surprise! In came Richard, holding out flowers. She had failed him once at Constantinople, and Lady Bruton, whose lunch parties were said to be extraordinarily amusing, had not asked her. He was holding out flowers, roses, red and white roses but he could not bring himself to say he loved her, not in so many words. But how lovely, she said, taking his flowers. She understood. She understood without his speaking, his Clarissa. She put them in vases on the mantelpiece. How lovely they looked, she said. And was it amusing, she asked? Had Lady Bruton asked after her? Peter Walsh was back. Mrs. Marsham had written. Must, she ask Ellie Henderson. That woman Kilman was upstairs. But let us sit down for five minutes, said Richard. It all looked so empty. All the chairs were against the wall. What had they been doing? Oh, it was for the party. No, he had not forgotten the party. Peter Walsh was back. Oh, yes, she had had him. And he was going to get a divorce, and he was in love with some woman out there, and he hadn't changed in the slightest. There she was, mending her dress. Thinking of Burton, she said. Hugh was at lunch, said Richard. She had met him, too. Well, he was getting absolutely intolerable, buying Evelyn necklaces, fatter than ever, an intolerable ass. And it came over me, I might have married you, she said, thinking of Peter, sitting there in his little bow tie, with that knife, opening it, shutting it. Just as he always was, you know. They were talking about him at lunch, said Richard, but he could not tell her he loved her. He held her hand. Happiness is this, he thought. They had been writing a letter to the Times for Millicent Bruton. That was about all Hugh was fit for. "'And our dear Miss Kilman?' he asked. Clarissa thought the roses absolutely lovely, first bunched together, now of their own accord starting apart. "'Kilman arrives just as we've done lunch,' she said. Elizabeth turns pink. They shut themselves up. I suppose they're praying. Lord, he didn't like it, but these things pass over if you let them. "'In a Macintosh with an umbrella,' said Clarissa. "'He had not said I love you, but he held her hand. "'Happiness is this, is this,' he thought. "'But why should I ask all the dull women in London to my parties?' said Clarissa. "'And if Mrs. Marsham gave a party, did she invite her guests?' "'Poor Ellie Henderson,' said Richard. "'It was a very odd thing how much Clarissa minded about her parties,' he thought. "'But Richard had no notion of the look of a room.' However, what was he going to say? If she worried about these parties, he would not let her give them. Did she wish she had married Peter? But he must go. He must be off, he said, getting up. But he stood for a moment as if he were about to say something, and she wondered what, why. There were the roses. Some committee? she asked as he opened the door. Armenians, he said. Or perhaps it was Albanians. And there is a dignity in people, a solitude, even between husband and wife, a gulf, 
and that one must respect thought clarissa watching him open the door for one would not part with it oneself or take it against his will from one's husband without losing one's independence one's self-respect something after all priceless he returned with a pillow and a quilt an hour's complete rest after luncheon he said and he went how like him he would go on saying an hour's complete rest after luncheon to the end of time because a doctor had ordered it once it was like him to take what doctor said literally part of his adorable divine simplicity which no one had to the same extent which made him go and do the thing while she and peter frittered their time away bickering he was already halfway to the house of commons to his armenians his albanians having settled her on the sofa looking at his roses and people would say clarissa dalloway is spoilt she cared much more for her roses than for the armenians hunted out of existence maimed frozen the victims of cruelty and injustice she had heard richard say so over and over again no she could feel nothing for the albanians or was it the armenians but she loved her roses didn't that help the armenians the only flowers she could bear to see cut but richard was already at the house of commons at his committee having settled all her difficulties but no alas that was not true he did not see the reason against asking ellie henderson she would do it of course as he wished it since he had brought the pillows she would lie down but but why did she suddenly feel for no reason that she could discover desperately unhappy as a person who has dropped some grain of pearl or diamond into the grass and parts the tall blades very carefully this way and that and searches here and there vainly and at last spies it there at the roots so she went through one thing and another no it was not sally seaton saying that richard would never be in the cabinet because he had a second-class brain it came back to her no she did not mind that nor was it to do with elizabeth either and doris kilman those were facts it was a feeling some unpleasant feeling earlier in the day perhaps something that peter had said combined with some depression of her own in her bedroom taking off her hat and what richard had said had added to it but what had he said there were his roses her parties that was it her parties both of them criticised her very unfairly laughed at her very unjustly for her parties that was it that was it well how was she going to defend herself now that she knew what it was she felt perfectly happy they thought or peter at any rate thought that she enjoyed imposing herself liked to have famous people about her great names was simply a snob in short well peter might think so richard merely thought it foolish of her to like excitement when she knew it was bad for her heart it was childish he thought and both were quite wrong what she liked was simply life that's what i do it for she said speaking aloud to life since she was lying on the sofa cloistered exempt the presence of this thing which she felt to be so obvious became physically existent with robes of sound from the street sunny with hot breath whispering blowing out the blinds but suppose peter said to her yes yes but your parties what's the sense of your parties all she could say was and nobody could be expected to understand they're an offering which sounded horribly vague but who was peter to make out that life was all plain sailing peter always in love always in love with the wrong woman what's your love she might say to him and she knew his answer how it is the most important thing in the world and no woman possibly understood it very well 
But could any man understand what she meant, either, about life? She could not imagine Peter or Richard taking the trouble to give a party for no reason whatever. But to go deeper, beneath what people said, and these judgments, how superficial, how fragmentary they are. In her own mind now, what did it mean to her, this thing she called life? Oh, it was very queer. Here was so-and-so in South Kensington, someone up in Bayswater, and somebody else, say, in Mayfair and she felt quite continuously a sense of their existence, and she felt what a waste, and she felt what a pity, and she felt if only they could be brought together. So she did it, and it was an offering to combine, to create. But to whom? An offering for the sake of offering, perhaps. Anyhow, it was her gift. Nothing else had she of the slightest importance. Could not think, write, even play the piano. She muddled Armenians and Turks, loved success, hated discomfort, must be liked, talked oceans of nonsense, and to this day, ask her what the equator was, and she did not know. All the same, that one day should follow another, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that one should wake up in the morning, see the sky, walk in the park, meet Hugh Whitbread, then suddenly in came Peter, then these roses, it was enough. After that, how unbelievable death was, that it must end, and no one in the whole world would know how she had loved it all, how every instant. End of section 19. Read by Hannah Dormer. London. 22nd of August, 2021.